0: Welcome to another edition of Expanding Mind. I'm your host, Eric Davis, continuing our conversations about the cultures of consciousness. Uh, One of my uh, early avenues towards some uh, consciousness culture uh, back when I was uh, a a teenager was weird music. I listened to a lot of uh, electronic music, uh, the sort of dark side, new wave psychedelia, Indian music, you know, anything that could transport, you know, that was sort of the goal It's like music that took you somewhere else. And so whether that was like a ferocious punk rock tune or a yes album, uh, or some spooky post Brian Eno kind of ambient oddity from Europe, uh, I loved it. And one of the records that I managed to get my hands on back in the uh, in the 80s was a record by Trans Millennia Consort called Plot Zero. And it was not uh, from a major record label, so it had a slightly like homegrown vibe and it was from California where I was living. And uh, it featured uh, interesting song titles like, mushroom trip and freebasing but these were just sort of uh the icing on the cake and the cake was some powerfully uh transporting uh, music electronic music space music head music and it was really some of the first classic kind of electronic space music that i had heard uh from uh, uh from that era and somewhere along the way uh, I lost the record. I, I, moved from New York. I went to New York and records got shuffled around and there was a box that got lost in a move and it was probably in that. Um, and I looked for it since then and I couldn't find it. Then I was started to buy records on discogs and it was like $150. And I was like, Oh my God, this record's blowing up. And it turned out that you know, people were really falling in love with this obscure act, Transmillennia Concert. I didn't know anything about him except that there was uh, a woman named Pauline Anastrom associated with it. And so I thought this is just one of those things that I'll never know anything about again. I might never hear again except for the tracks I can hear on YouTube. And the whole record wasn't even on YouTube. And then to my great delight, I heard that there was going to be a reissue of this uh, marvelous music, not the not the entirety of that particular record, but a collection uh, of Pauline's music uh, that has recently uh, come out on um, our, uh, our our RvNG International Recordings, a uh, Brooklyn uh, label run by Matt Worth, a great label, lots of perfect for the kind of uh, music nerd that I am. Uh, and uh, so, Transmillennia Music has just dropped this month. And, uh, I, even though I've been very busy lately, uh, finishing my book, I knew I wanted to write about it. So I wrote to the wire and I was, Oh my God, let's do this piece. Uh, and so I got to interview, uh, Pauline. And part of what interested me was uh, this music and the fact that I had loved it so much when I was young and wanted to find out what was going on around the music. Uh, but the other fact was that she was uh, living still living in San Francisco and that her story was uh, also a deeply California tale of a kind of, uh, let's call it New Age culture at the time, but, you know, a spiritual, innovative, exploratory, uh, and, and willing to use technology uh, to play with consciousness. So uh, we had a great uh, talk and I wrote up a profile that came out in uh, the November issue of The Wire. I believe it's the November issue. And uh, and so now I I invited Paula onto the show to uh, uh, to chat with us here in Expanding Minds. So Paula, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, thank you.
0: Well, you know, like as we talked about before, you know, one of the fun things to hear about in your story is is really how you discovered, uh, let's call it, space music. you know, what, you know, you hadn't grown up being a, a, a super musician-focused person, but you kind of found the music uh, along the way. So tell me a little bit about your life, what was going on when you first heard this sort of, what we might call ambient music now, but, but that a lot of people called space music uh, at the time.
1: Well, um, I guess I was always, music, music uh, fades into this. But I was, my mind and my imagination were always somewhere else. <laughs> and the music sort of fit, electronic fit, uh, playing with sound, cre- creating sound and that kind of thing. When I got into the synthesizers, like with the Prophet 10, the DX, and all of that, um, it, it just it fit me. It fit everything. I felt totally at home with it, almost like I had known it before.
0: That's fascinating. And then and and when you heard when you first heard recordings, you know, by Brian Eno or Klaus Schultz, you know, mm-hmm. classic sort of 70s yes. space music or ambient music, was there something that that that, that how did that music strike you, uh, you know, in contrast to all the other music you might have been listening to in, in, in at that timeless.
1: time? It's timeless. It, it you could it would have the same effect and the same power Uh, a million years from now and probably a million years in the past. It's timeless. It's universal. It's, yeah.
0: Well, that's one of the things listening to Transmillennia music, the the new uh, collection, which, you know, draws from uh, your early LPs and then these very, very obscure cassettes, which I didn't even know about, which are impossible to find. So there's quite a range of music from the whole period of time when you were making yeah. music in the eighties. And one thing that's interesting is that when you listen to it, you can tell from certain timbres that it's the, the music was made, you know, at a certain period of time when technology had gotten to a certain level, you know, there's certain sounds that you're like, okay, mm-hmm. that's kind of a eighties thing, but that is swallowed up by again, like the, the sense of, uh, of transport of of other realms of of other dimensions and other feelings and strange memories and it's a, it's a very evocative music and so your own experience of the music as being evocative is very much part of the music you put out what was that about like when you were making tracks describe the kind of imaginative side of it not just the making of of not just playing instruments but you were really exploring your own imagination and your own sense of, of of making music that could transport. Okay,
1: well, I believe, now I have my own theories of a lot of philosophy and things, but I believe in reincarnation, but I believe in, in a different way. I believe it's the transport of knowledge that we carry in with us in our soul and our mind, lifetime after lifetime, we carry in the knowledge of experience or we carry in, you know, past, present, and future are all one. And whether we're pulling in that knowledge from past universes or past lifetimes or future realms and situations, we're pulling in, accessing that knowledge through however, whatever uh, degree and whatever element it comes through, that's where it connects that's where the when you when you create and I' I know you're not talking about the creation of the synthesizer sounds itself but when you're pulling that in and you're transcribing it into translating it rather into say a piece of music like um, some of the ones uh, on the on the compilation I don't think this piece is on or the um, water on ancient keys. I could visualize the harbor of Alexandria uh, centuries ago, probably in the time of Alexander the Great, that kind of thing, uh, the Ptolemaic dynasties. And you, I could picture the water, and the when I played the keyboard and created the sound of water, I could feel the sound. The texture of the sound of water in my fingers. I know it sounds weird, but I can do that. So, um, in in incorporating different sounds and different elements, you're bringing in that knowledge. Bringing in that knowledge of the drops of water hitting hitting the stone, hitting chips. However, does that make sense?
0: Oh, very much. I mean, that's it. it, it's, uh, it sounds like an incredibly rich. Process And when we talked before, you also described these sort of uh, very strong images and visual experiences associated with things like seeing the sort of uh, the areas or seeing the quay or seeing the water, seeing the tenement, the tenement. Um, And of course, you know, that um, raises this very interesting question because uh, you're you know, you've been blind from birth. Yeah. And part of this music and your own imagination is bound up with your very, with a, a very unique way of being in the world. Um, and I would just love to hear what it is like to be working with the imagination, with getting the sense of other places, other times, other information that, that then informs your music. Um, What's, what's that like for you? What's that like? Where does that? How did you learn or discover that imaginative realm, which for people In with sight we associate with images, with visual images? But for I you it's, it has a different character.
1: I didn't exactly learn it or anything. It just happened. Um, I guess it's just a natural innate ability that some people are born with. Um, that's the only way I can describe it. But it's like each, I guess the way I put it is, I translate visual into audio. Translating a whole scene or a whole scenario or a whole emotional situation. There's a piece, and I know it's not on any record, um, I called The Blood celebrants. And it had to do with the vampire legends and that kind of thing. Um, and I could picture there's another piece I did called Circus Maximus and the gladiator scenario and the killing and the, um, animals and the people and all of that. You could feel all of that in some of the spiritual things I have done. Um, I, best way to describe this to you, I'll take this example because it's several years back, so, (laughs) um but it's one of many. I did a consultation or a reading, if you call it, for someone, and I picked up in this man the centuries way back in sort of a jungle setting where he had his leg cut off. Now, I could smell and feel the blood, and I was really sick for a few hours after I did that, didn't touch this person or anything, but the knowledge came through to me of this experience that he had, and I could um, experience that in my own mind and my own body. Does this make sense?
0: Did you always feel, you know, growing up, that you you weren't living in the same kind of sense of time that other people did, That that... You know, some of us are very much—we're just where we are. You know, it's nineteen. Well, <laughs> you know, it's—I exactly was born in right. nineteen sixty-seven. It's, ni- it's twenty seventeen right now. I uh, maybe I can read about history in a book, but or mm-hmm. watch a movie. But you know, for the most part, I'm pretty here. Do, yeah. It sounds to me like you—you you have always felt sort of relating to different times in a in a
1: different way. Yes, definitely. I've always. Not felt like like I was thrown into this present time, this present civilization. Yes, I like my electricity and the water and all those kind of conveniences, but the rest of it, no, thank you. <laughs> i I've always felt out of synchronicity with it. Did and then you, how I, did
0: that how did that affect you know your life, the felt decisions that you way made?
1: As a little girl, I felt that way. I can remember parents and adults saying to me, I don't know where you get that from. <laughs> yeah, so I've always, like I was just dropped into this, into this environment that I don't like.
0: <laughs> so that was part of it, too, is that these other places, they offered a, another angle and even a little bit of an escape from, uh, from present circumstances.
1: No, it wasn't an escape. It was like I was dropped in, into a situation where I just did not fit, and I it thrown into modernity and present time, I just did not fit into it. I still don't, in a lot of ways.
0: <laughs> yeah, and so music for you became a way of, of exploring, exploring those other, other dimensions. What inspired yeah. you to actually start making uh, music? from being a listener or someone who loved music or, or, uh, I know you listened to, um, a lot of early space music. There was a great, uh, uh, radio show, uh, in the, in the Bay area, uh, hearts of space. Yeah. Uh, and that you, you first heard that when you were living in, uh, in San Francisco.
1: Yeah.
0: And that is, did that inspire Like, I want to make this stuff.
1: Well, before that, I had been buying a lot of records, you know Schultz and Tendring Dream and Brian Eno and Zangelis and all of that. I'd been buying all of that, and then, of course, I'm a night person, so I you know tuned into the that program late at night and uh it just I felt I could do the same thing I really did and and electronics gave me the freedom to do that
0: so what were the were there challenges being uh being blind in terms of how did you interact with the technology since the technology is clearly designed for people who can see where the meters are which button is which blah 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 you had to learn these things in a different way than they were designed was that easy? Was it an interesting challenge? Did you, did, you, did you find that it led you to use the technology maybe in different ways than, than people in expected?
1: in different ways, but I learned as I go. And I learned through repetition. And i try something and see what I get and uh, play with it that way. And a lot of times I would make a sound or something and someone could ask me, how did you do that? And I honestly couldn't tell you how I did it. I just did it. I could not, for the love of me, tell you the process or how I did it, what modulator or carrier on the DX, you know, all of the frequencies, that kind of thing. I just, just my hand, it's just like I, I went into a different space and could just do this. I would start at 6 at night and not be tired until 6 in the morning, and then I'd crash. But... Uh, time, time would it would almost
0: seem like five minutes, and it was hours. Well, and that <laughs> that, that that translates uh, to a lot of the tracks. And since we we're talking about, it, let's hear one of the tracks now. The the one I chose from from that's on the new collection uh, is called "In Flight Suspension," and it's the last uh, track on on uh, one of those cassettes that came out. A cassette that was devoted to. Uh, uh, compositions about flight and... uh,
1: Oh, airport visions, yeah.
0: Yeah, so this one is uh, in-flight suspension, and we'll just hear a short excerpt from it uh, right now. That's pretty cool. So, what were you? What do you remember? Anything that was going on when you uh, composed uh, this particular track, or, 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 or other tracks that are on that uh, on that cassette, Mach three o four?
1: Oh, I used to have a fascination um, with the airport, and I would take a Sony TCD five M. You know that you remember that recorder, and. Um, this was way you know way before nine eleven and all that you could do these kind of things and anyway, um my husband and I went and dropped a friend off at the airport and i would I like to walk around the airport and just record sounds and people and and that type of thing um, and that that basically all went into that that particular cassette.
0: So are there, there found sounds on that, on, on some of the other tracks there, too, like uh, sounds of the airport mixed yes, in is. with the music? I don't know
1: if you had that one, but there is. There is the um, uh, Mach 304 is the name of the cassette, and Airport Visions, there's the sound of the ticket agent and my friend getting his ticket and some pilots walking by talking about their flight and a place... Uh, Little area there where people had coffee, and you could hear the dishes, and just different little fade-ins of things like that.
0: And so, where where did the uh, the fascination with flight come from?
1: I think, in a lot of ways, um, traveling through space and time, and your mind, yes, that way.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. You know, it's funny. It reminds me when you were talking about the airports. Um I just had a, a wonderful experience the uh there's a current exhibit at uh San Francisco Museum of Modern Art called Soundtracks which is a lot of sound art um there's like mm. a there's a Brian Eno piece and there's a number of pretty cool pieces in the in the show itself but one of the artists whose uh, name is going to slip my mind at the moment maybe I can uh, dig it up uh uh, offer, you know, kind of created this wonderful way of interacting with the city, which I don't understand why people don't do all the time, which is basically they, they give you these headphones, which pick up, you know, electromagnetic uh, frequencies, induction fields. Mm-hmm. And so you put them on and they have a little map. Uh, of, of around the, the, the museum. So you leave the museum and you go walk around in a few blocks and go through a mall and and there's all these little prompts like, oh, make sure to listen to the ATM or listen to the neon sign. And, you know, you put these headphones on and you realize, I mean, you, you know, I knew this conceptually that when we walk around the city, we're walking around electromagnetic fields all the time but we don't hear them and they're invisible. So we just don't think about them and you put these headphones on and that's what you're listening to. You're listening to all of these waveforms and all of these, you know, uh, induction fields and buzzings and hummings and beats and, and security systems and, and, and lights and, uh, you know, uh, all these, all the current running through the, the, the architecture. And it was just extraordinary experience, like just walking around. And it was like, it was like visible and invisible at the same time. It's like you could hear what was invisible and it felt like you were actually seeing something that all these people didn't tune into at all. They didn't know what they were walking through. And suddenly I could hear that this, you know, that the neon sign was incredibly, you know, it sounded like a a, a sort of s- slow doom metal Chorus, you know, and then yeah. there would be these strange high frequency beeps, and it was very beautiful. And I don't understand why people don't <laughs> do this all the all the time. I've got um,
1: to get some of those headphones.
0: <laughs> I know they're just super, but it made me think about the whole situation of walking around the city. And you, you know, again, um, you know, uh, when I imagine you walking around the airport with your tape recorder like your ability to, to tune into something different about the airport because you're only relating to uh, sound. Uh, right. you know, you're know, you moving through space, you're listening, you're recording, but you're not caught up in all the visual information. In right. a way, it's an almost more intimate experience. That's sort of how I felt with these headphones. I was like, God, in a way, I'm, I'm actually in the city more intimately than I am just walking yeah. around looking at everything and hearing the normal sounds. So, yeah. So, so, I mean, again, I, I, mean, I, I really appreciate one of the things I like talking to you about is that the way you don't, you don't lean on being a blind person. You don't like make no, it like a core and aspect of your identity, but at the same time, I'm fascinated with like how you feel it has let you understand the world differently and perhaps more intimately than those of us who have been sighted from since birth.
1: Okay, Uh, I think I know where you're going here. Um, In day-to-day life, even just walking around or going downstairs in my apartment building or uh, to a taxi or whatever, uh, interacting with my animal, different things, you are more aware of the living, breathing element of everything around us, whether it's things that people are doing or it's even objects, because even at a low energy, energetic frequency level, everything has a depth of energy to it, a depth of vibrational frequencies to it, whether it's um, a rock, a river rock, or um, the concrete of the building, everything everything has has picks up that picks up a certain energy houses uh dwellings buildings pick up the energy and or uh, the emotion or the personalities of people who are in them, and people don't really think about that or realize that um, am I making sense
0: yes, very much
1: <laughs> and when um I think because of not being able to see all of these things, and I'm not distracted by the visual things going on around me. Um, yeah, that. May- I listen, and sense through a sensory level what's going on, and in subtle different ways. Um, when I'm around people and they're talking, it's not the words that people say when you when you bypass people or say, like, um, I'm someplace and I listen to, you know, waiting for a taxi and I'm hearing other conversations. It's not necessarily the words, they do matter, yes, but it's how a person says something. It's the tone, the inflection of the voice, the the cadence all of that, that you pick up everything. It's even the breathing. Um, there is someone that works in an area where I bypass, and I can be feet away, and I can hear this man's breathing, which he doesn't even realize. And I just said to him, you know, you better start watching what you do as far as you're smoking and all that. <laughs> and, and he says, "How do you know?" And I said, "You can pick it up ten feet away, twenty feet away. It's the way you talk, the way you breathe, the way everything you, you follow me
0: oh yeah i mean it you you clearly are are gifted with that that kind of intuitive." You know, we we talk about intuition and and it's sort of a funny word because it's yes. on the one hand it it implies that you that people are actually able to understand true things about the world better, but it's also something that people think is kind of fuzzy like it doesn't who knows what it is and you know maybe know. it's if just like people are good at guessing. It, but we'll intuition is a really it's almost like another sense.
1: Yeah, uh, the sixth sense, yeah. Yeah. That, that's and really really what it is. And so I use that and depend on that and making decisions and, and doing everything that I do.
0: Yeah. And then, uh, what's, uh, what, you know, one of the things that, 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 that interests me is that your music came out, you know, in in the, in the eighties, in the Bay area, you know, you were listening to hearts of space Uh, And also this these records. But, you know, that was a very much of a Bay Area uh, starts in the Bay Area. We've had Stephen Hill um, on the show. And so there's this whole kind of local culture of, let's say, new age music back in the golden days. You know, people have bad associations with that term, but there's some wonderful music uh, that was and occasionally is still made under the the sort of umbrella of, of the new age, which some people put your music into which is fair enough, but not quite accurate. Uh, And so I wanted to ask you about how you felt you related to or were different from a lot of the things that were going on in the area at at the same time, because you were dealing with people who were running New Age labels and recording labs. And so you were, you know, a little bit a part of that world. Um, And so i just love to hear you because you were also, you know, always been very spiritually sensitive as well how you sort of felt about that world at the time and how you related to it.
1: Uh, Okay. Um, I sort of danced around things, never really became an in-depth participant in things, but sort of just kept my aloofness and just danced around things and kept my own. Yeah, I'm very opinionated in a lot of ways, but um, just sort of, stayed kept everything at arm's length. I mean, yes, I did the music and yes I was sorta of danced around part of these things like you're you're describing, but at the same time I'm a woman that would um I had loved to cook at the time. Um I made bread, I did a lot of Julia Child recipes, um all kind of things that a normal housewife um would do. I was into all of that type of thing. Um, Yeah, so there was a part of me, I never really bought into one specific thing. And I think I mentioned this to you uh, before, Um, whether it's healing or counseling or any of the things that I do, I sort of take from everything I experience and every bit of knowledge I pull in and create my own system and everything in my own way. And so I'm basically probably a heretic to all of it.
0: uh, (laughs) Which I can tell you enjoy.
1: Yes, I do. (laughs) When you get to a point in life where you don't worry about what people think, Uh, there's a friend of mine that's a security person. He says, that's what I like about you. You don't give a damn. You say what you think. (laughs)
0: <laughs> no it's very true and were you always like that or did you go through a, a, like was there some co- you know come to Jesus moment when you were young where <laughs> you realized hey if I don't if I don't give a shit it, everything's freer <laughs> or were you always like that
1: I was always like that that's why I feel when we talked earlier about like I like am I'm out of synchronicity I was dropped into this present civilization or time frame or planet or whatever you want um and be out of balance with it. I've always been that way. And I got that over and over from my very first memories of I don't know where you get this from. None of us are like you. <laughs> I mean, I've always been that. I think I was born like that. Yeah. Well, I was a premature baby and spent a few months in the incubator. God knows what that did. So <laughs>
0: I'm curious yeah. when you were when you were younger. Um, did you pity or did you have self pity because you were blind, or did you always go, "Ah, this is just the way I am. I'm living my life anyway. I don't care."
1: No, no self pity. More or less, it was a fucking nuisance. Yeah, that's the way I look at it.
0: <laughs> and well, this that...
1: thing, this thing about blind people, you know, the independence in a lot of the community is. Being able to take public transportation and go where you gotta do this and that and use an ATM, that's not independence to me. Independence to me is handling my own personal life, my money, everything else. As far as the transportation, all that hell if I, I'd be driving a car. You're gonna catch me walking. And aside from that, that's an I allow security people and drivers and people I come in contact with, you know, um, graciously help me in a lot of ways, and I become their friend. I become this is something that I think is breaking down in our world. American, we don't actually help each other. There is a whole industry that has evolved. You look at people from other countries, they have this tight knit, um, interconnected, whether it's familial and friends, they all help each other. We go to the system we go to the government to providers to all that oh not me you won't catch me doing that i make friends with everybody that crosses my path and i i tend to help them and in turn they help me in in some ways it's not it's not um i need you to do this no it's not that it's just like in forget the blind part it's just becoming friends with somebody you know oh You're going to Costco, I'll give you you know, you can if you want to go to Costco you can go on my card, whatever. You know, that I mean, I do things to blend and to make friends with people so that they don't feel that they are doing something for me because I'm blind and I don't feel do you see where I'm going?
0: Totally. No, it's it's I mean, one of the wonderful things about talking to you and and you know, probably why I wanted to bring on the show is just You've really made me rethink my own, I don't call them prejudices, but my own sort of generic ways of thinking about how people move through the world and that your, your quality of independence, it's not just about, Oh, isn't that great? You're, you're listening to how independent you are as a blind person, but it's, it's more that like, you remind me of, of different ways of being with people, you know, like that, that there's different ways of, like you're saying, like the, you form a relationship, you form yeah. a friendship and that part of the way it is for you to be friends is that yeah? They might drive you somewhere, or you might lend them something, or tell them something they didn't know, or whatever. And it yeah. just it just kind of opened my uh, opened my eyes in a lot of ways, <laughs> so to speak. But it makes
1: uh, it hard. It the hard part about it is the stereotype of people out there of disabled people. You know, you're either these fantastic superheroes or you're these people that need you know, assistance and all that. There's the two extremes, and to me, not to fit either one of them, it makes it difficult for people like me because you don't know how many times if I'm somewhere like down at 450 Sutter or something like that, in an elevator and someone will ask me, Honey, are you on SSI? I felt like taking, Honey, take it and shove it. You know, I mean... They automatically assume that this poor you attitude.
0: Yeah. No. I. I. I mean, I, one thing that really struck me in your is is the way that you were you were never interested in in braille. No. You were like, <laughs> who needs it?
1: Yeah. And they push that still, and you don't need it in this day and age anyway. But. And granted, yes, I had husbands that could see and drive cars. You know, I mean, so, you know, I've always gone out of my way to handle things the way I see, you know, I see fit that they should be handled. But then I always have that battle of being accepted. It's like you walk down the street and you're going to think everybody out there in the tenderloin is a dealer just because of the way they dress or where they are in location. No, you can't do that. It's the same thing with disabilities. Does that make sense?
0: It's amazing to me. I think about that all the time, both watching my own mind, because for better and for worse, I'm very self-aware, so I'm very aware of all the things that I'm doing all the time, which sometimes makes me kind of neurotic, but also makes me sensitive to a lot of things. It's just how how easy it is to put people into categories. And it's always interesting. I wonder if you feel this too, as someone who's very intuitive, is I often feel a kind of, there's a, not a struggle, but there's a tension between my intuition, which is maybe a very strong message about this particular person. But at the same time, I'm like, oh wait, am am I just running a stereotype here? You know, and there's this kind of tension because I don't want to just put people in boxes. But at the same time, sometimes I go, "Oh, that person's crazy," or "That person's not very nice," or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there's always this kind of uh, this this but kind of tension. But the powers
1: that be have created this too. If you look at it in the broader picture, the government, organizations, it's all an industry, and it's fostered this kind of thing. Why? And it's like. I have this. I have this lizard. I think you know about Little Solstice. She's a cyclora. and you know, I know not many people would have something like that. Even people that could see probably wouldn't have her. But but um, it's anything that's different. Anything that's it doesn't fit what people expect. It, it doesn't. Our, our society isn't geared to individualism. And I believe in people being an individual, not a conformist or part of a group.
0: Yeah, I think you're right about. It. I mean, like it's like the, what you said before about that. There's all these industries, and whether some of them are mm-hmm. from the government and some of them are private. But that we've we've outsourced all these ways of being with people yeah. to pro, quote unquote professionals. But it just makes it all more.
1: And it's Alienating
0: and easy to just not even way. try and just li- live in your little little bubble. Yeah,
1: it's um, easier to control people that way.
0: But I wanted to uh, uh, ask you, since you know you we were talking about not using Braille,
1: mm-hmm. um,
0: you've been a fan of uh, you know uh, uh, audio books. We call them now, but you've been listening yes. to audio books forever. Uh, oh, yeah. and you On have this device yep. that's really interesting, the Victor uh, Reader. I'd just love to hear hear you talk about how you access information.
1: Yeah. You, um, well, I use the Victor. I've got Wi-Fi, and the only reason I have that is so I can use the Victor. <laughs> and, uh, and sometime I'll have to maybe get together with you and show you. But um, anyway... I can locate, I I can access an outfit called Bookshare on Palo Alto and uh, download into that all sorts of books, and it's audible, really. And also on NLS, National Library, Congress. And I can access the news line and get every news feed possible. Um, I can access radio stations all over the world and uh, podcasts. In fact, before well, I... you, before I talk to you, I put in Expanded Mind, and I got three feeds. I don't know which one is yours. I'll find out. But um, that were Expanded Mind. Oh. <laughs> so I can access all of these kind of things and, and keep every program or every book on SD cards. God, I must have. I'm in that whirlwind right now of, of downloading things and saving them because I've always wanted the Alexandrian library. Well, I'm going to get it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Maybe yours is going to be less of a a surveillance library than the rest of us because it'll be on SD cards. You know, most people, they access their Alexandrian library through, uh, you know, through their smartphone, uh, which means that it's, uh, you know, watching every move you make. Uh, Yeah. that's,
1: that's, that's... That's why I won't have a phone like that. That uh, technology has that downside to it. Um, th- privacy is didn't was it Eric Schmidt or the guy from Google or whatever. Um, that privacy is no longer it's no longer not it's not a normal thing anymore. That's bullshit. Privacy is a sacred thing, and when you begin to give in to that and say it's not. The government can control your mind, everything. What do you think they're doing with engineering all this stuff? Um, this technology, these phones and all of this and everything. People are addicted to it. That yeah, it's, it's pretty strange out
0: there. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to argue. You know, actually, I wanted to, this reminds me of one thing. We I, Now we've, we've drifted away from talking about your music, yeah, but there no. was one question <laughs> I wanted to ask uh, yeah. that also really interests me is that, if I go back and I listen to your recordings that you made in the '80s, and as I mentioned, especially the first record, you know it, it shares in the ambiance of a lot of other um, of other music people were making at that time, influenced yeah. by space music by Brian Eno and ambient music by yeah. uh, New Age music. You know, it had there's a lot of sense of of space, of interiority, of enchantment, of uh, transformation. It, it it has a a fairly light feeling. I mean, not like not substantive, but light, as in uh, airy and full of light. Um, and so, yeah. And then, like, it's kind of like other, you know, it's in the sort of larger category of a lot of music people were making at that time. But later records, you go into some really interesting directions, like on the album Spectre, which has oh, yes. a, a couple of tracks that are on the new compilation. Yeah. There's some quite dark currents there. And then if you go online and you and you search for Spectre on YouTube, you'll find that the records that are, it gets associated with it are all sort of like, they're not new age music. It's like dark side, you know, like goth music and mm-hmm. a dark ambient and things. And so you seem to be interested both aesthetically and spiritually with both the light and the dark.
1: Yes, I and
0: am. I, I'd love yeah. to hear about that.
1: definitely connected with both in a lot of different ways um let's see how can i put this (laughs) okay i am definitely drawn to the middle ages and definitely drawn drawn through a period of history when a lot of there was a lot of cruelty and a lot of um sadism and all that um and I'm drawn into a lot of the, well, you'd say occult, but I'm not part of anything. I'm just drawn to it, and I feel I've experienced things relevant to this. And as far as how it connects with the music, it's expressing all of these different experiences through the music. I would be... And in a practical way, I would be bored to tears if I had to be predictable from one project to another. I have ideas in my mind that have been building for a long time of of projects that I want to do when I get equipment. Um, And I guarantee you they're going to be different from project to project just like the ones you've heard are. But I have no problem with the light and the dark. There's only two forces, really, in my book love and fear and everything generates from those and fear can be a powerfully negative uh, controlling factor if you let it and as long as you don't let that overcome you um you're fine
0: Yeah, that's an interesting one. I've been thinking a lot lately about working with fear because uh, our world is is very frightening now. Maybe it's always been frightening, but it's frightening in very particular ways. Uh, And it's very easy, you know, if you're like reading the news or going down various rabbit holes online or talking to people about what's going on in their lives, there's a lot of fear out there. And of course, some people are using it. So on the one hand... Fear is being used as a control method. Oh, definitely. Fear is, yeah. but at the same time, there's scary things. So, how do you know? Like, how do you work with fear so that you're not just pretending everything is is all love and light, which it's not, um, but not getting caught up in the in the traps associated with becoming a fearful person and and being controlled by other people's fear propaganda.
1: Okay, can I? Trying to illustrate an example of something here. That's the way I tend to uh, talk and work. i okay? love it. Okay. All right. Now, hypothetically, you have this thing about oh, there would never be any war. Oh, come on. Um, okay. So somebody's sitting here and they're saying, well, you know, I said, what would you do? And they would say, well, I'd try to talk to them or whatever. No. You're gonna pick up the next weapon you can get your hands on and blow them away before they do you. Come on, that's it's fantasy to think that, and you you can talk people out of something or you can no, it's self-preservation and survival, and you can't if you get rid of armies and you get rid of all of that and um, another force or a darker force or uh, an. Whatever you want to call it, decides to come in and, and take over your situation or your country or your uh, element. What are you going to do? Sit there and talk to them and plead with them? Not no. That you're going to want those soldiers back to protect you. That's what you're going to want. Let's get real. That I means that's it's it's not a question of fear in the sense of, yeah, you're afraid of something. Like, like if, she, if this animal of mine were to bite me, um, and I've had my share of bad bites. I've had different reptiles over the years. Um, they can't talk. They can't, you know. But I've had a bite. I can take care of it. The first thing I do whenever I've been bit in years gone by is to pick up the animal and hold it. Why? Because I won't let that fear master me. Does this make sense? Am I making sense? And or is there a question you have about
0: this? Uh, no, this is uh, this is very interesting. I mean, I've I've uh, you know, I mean, as I said, I've been kind of wrestling with that a lot. For me, fear is a very uh, primary emotion, and that a lot of the growth that I've done, both intellectual and political, but also spiritual, has been through fear. Like it's 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 not like trying to bypass it.
1: That's um, why. That's why, and I think it's important for people to, and I wish I could teach this, to learn. You know how we talked earlier about how I walk around and I pick up sensations and I'm more empathic? Remember how we talked about that a little while back?
0: Absolutely.
1: If people could do that, could develop that that internal ability, it could save your life.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. One of the things I like to do is when, like, if there's uh, people who are, let's just say, mentally different, you know, on the street or on a, a streetcar,
1: mm-hmm.
0: is I notice that they often are attracted to me because they I notice them and I pay attention uneasy. to them and I'm not judging them. Right. And then they come up and sometimes I've had these interactions where I have to really trust my intuition to know, is this person dangerous or can I continue to have a conversation with them? And sometimes they seem a little dangerous, you know, the way that street people yeah. can be, like, real on edge. And, yeah. you know, I don't know if I'm right, but it's forced me to, like, develop a kind of confidence in being in, in difficult situations with people and really trying to tune in to, like, wait, is this actually a threat? Or is there some human connection here that I can trust at least for <laughs> the next five minutes? So... I but think don't I know what you're talking time to about
1: analyze it, you have to just feel it,
0: yeah, and that's what you've been doing a lot since uh you you stopped making music in the eighties. I mean you had to get rid of your gear, and so yeah. it's been so long since you've made music um you've been doing uh I know you do spiritual work and and counseling with folks uh are you itchy to get back to music?
1: Oh yes, if I had the money, I'd go to guitar center right now.
0: <laughs> well, we 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 we'll try to we're trying to work something out over here. We're trying to get a benefit together, get you some cash so you can make some more music cuz that's uh I think we would all uh, all appreciate that.
1: And so. I tend to I tend to work alone. I've never really worked with anybody. Um I like I like I like working alone. You know all of those all of those uh cassettes and everything else. I created all that in the 3-D effect, like I told you. Um, you know, the, co- the composition, as I, I create it as I go. I make the whole system work for me. At that time, I made the synthesizers, the 24-track board, the QX1s, and the, I have a rack of effects that had a super prime time and all sorts of units, and I made all of that work for me as one instrument. Every piece of equipment made the one instrument. And a friend of mine told me, he says, Paula, you can go now and you can buy one workstation, not a computer, a workstation, Yamaha or cord, and everything that you had is in that little box. And you can, it'll do all of that stuff. Very I exciting. Make, I make the effects and everything. I don't look at it as a polish I look at it as part of the composition.:
0: Hey, that's very interesting. Can you say, say more? How, how effects are not just polished, but actually part of the
1: composition?: They create you can create a space for the sound. I, I love to make uh, different sounds like come when you ha- and I work with headphones all the time. So um, like the sound would be coming up from the floor. Uh, instead of directly at you, or having a glass of water pour from one side of the room to the other, or creating, giving everything a depth like you were in, in a, not just a reverb or anything, but deeper than that, in a canyon, or having things, uh, a lot of movement, a lot of sculpture to the sound, time intervals, all that kind of thing.
0: Yeah, sounds that, like you're still you're still thinking like <laughs> like you're making I, music. It's kind of amazing that it's...
1: And that's, uh, that's, it's, that's where I want the piece of equipment I get. I want to... I'm going to have to talk... I need a good technician that I can talk to. Yeah. And understand what I want, because I don't want to be sold something that I would be, you know, dissatisfied with later. I'm not really a performer. I'm a composer. And... That's and, and a sound, I guess a sound, effects, and a sound engineer in a lot of ways, but I'm self-taught. And that's, I want to be able to do all these things. I don't want just something where you play the keyboard. That's not enough. What I want is the piece of equipment to do all of these things that I'm describing to you and to manipulate all of that. Oh, yeah. That's, <laughs> I have something called a TX-816, which Yamaha only made a few of them. I have it sitting here. It's um, It was connection with the DX-7. They only made a limited amount of them. And it's like eight little DX-7s in a box. And I created a lot of sounds in there. Um Oh, it, it's, it's amazing. That kind of stuff, I can't tell you how fascinated I have always been with it. It's like coming home. It's why I kind of believe that I had to have had some connection or some ability with this in a previous time, previous lifetime or something. I had to have something to do with because this kind of stuff has oh, has always drawn me.
0: I'm curious when you we got one time for one more question. When yes. you think about making music in the future, do you already have a sense of what you want to make, or is it more like you want to have the tools show you uh, the, oh, the, the new music.
1: music? And I'll, I'll, I'll make I'll be mistress of them and I'll make them do what I want. But I, I already have a sense of a lot of things I want to create.
0: Wonderful. Well, we're going to have to end it there. Uh, Paula, thanks so much for joining us on Expanding Mind.
1: Oh, thank you. It's been a pleasure and i'll
0: talk to you soon great so uh this is pauline anastrom and please check out her uh new compilation Transmillennia music it's uh uh it's a it's a wonderful uh multi-headed journey uh so check it out and until next week keep your minds open